hesitant to share on, um, but I feel to share it. I was going to start teaching on deliverance today, um, but I, I feel to just push that aside for a while. The last few weeks in the early morning prayer times, those of you that have been logging in would know that my segment, I have been leading us in prayer concerning financial um, prosperity. And um, as I've been waiting on the Lord about what to share today, um, I, I just feel like I need to speak into this and uh, just really help us as a church and as individuals concerning the area of our finances. Um, yeah, so uh, I want to pray again. Father, thank you so much for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Please, will you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, about three and a half years or so ago, I actually did an extensive teaching on financial prosperity. So I don't really want to go into a lot of the technicalities concerning it, but I want to mention a few things because uh, how many of you need more money? How many of you need more money? Okay, how many of you want more money? How many of you would like to have less money than what you already have right now? <laughs> All right. Um, this issue of financial prosperity is a very uh, controversial subject because there's been a lot of abuse, a lot of manipulation at times that is being used, especially when we as pastors, we want money um, in the, from you. We like to teach about money so that you can give us your money. And some pastors do that. I don't know if I've ever done that. Um, but anyway, you're looking at me very strange right now. Uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of, so it's been one of those subjects that I am very reluctant to talk on, especially um, unless I go to another church, then I don't mind talking about it. Um, but in, in our context here, I'm reluctant to talk about it because I don't want to really use it to manipulate for more money. Um, you know, um, I think this is a very generous church already and people are very, very giving. So um, we don't really need to talk about money. If we need money, we just need to say we need money. Can you help us out? We don't need to try and use the scriptures to do that. Having said that, um, there's also a lot of um, uh, kind of, I, I think, just fanciful thinking about financial prosperity in the church. It's, it's, like, it's like people think that if you do one, two, three things, then you're, you're going to get a lot of money. Um, God is just going to put money in your bank account by magic and you're going to be a very um, happy person. And uh, people tend to think that tithing, for instance, is a, a, a magic formula whereby if you tithe, um, then God is just going to cause you to have a lot of money. How many of you found that to be true? Oh, nobody. Okay, so, so that doesn't work either. And then you have the other extreme where People don't want to talk about it, even including myself, where we, are, we don't want to be misunderstood and so forth. So we try not to talk about it, especially if you've brought a guest to service. The last thing you want to hear is, we're not going to talk about money. Because the guy or the girl will say, you see, I told you, they always want your money. You know, so I, I appreciate all of those dynamics. Having said that, I do feel that prophetically, the Spirit wants to say to us some things that will help us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20 I'm going to kind of lay some foundations today and then next week kind of conclude. But really what I'm giving you is some guidelines on how you pray as well as how you steward yourself when it comes to um, God's um, financial purposes for your life. 1 Corinthians 7.20 says, Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. It's a very strange verse. Now this verse is within the context of marriage 
and where Paul the Apostle was speaking to the Corinthian um, believers about marriage and the different dynamics of marriage. And in that, he speaks about the fact that if you, when you were saved, how you found yourself is what you should try to um, remain as. In fact, let me read the whole context and portion of verses together. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now, really, what the, the apostle is trying to emphasize is this. When you got saved, in whatever state you found yourself to be in, seek to be the best you can in that context. Don't think that by getting married per se, that is going to improve your life. Or by divorcing your wife or your husband is going to improve your life. But rather, the context in which you find yourself in is the context in which you should seek to excel to the glory of God. So he says, were you a slave? He says, if you were a slave um, whilst you were called, do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. In other words, now slavery was like the lowest common denominator in terms of you being able to do something of your, with your life. You could not even decide to get married if you were a slave. You were somebody else's property. But what Paul was saying here is this. Even if you were a slave, because you're in the Lord, you can still become the best you and fulfill everything that God has for your life. So don't allow the fact that your current circumstances is limiting you as a slave. Don't worry about it. However, if you can set yourself free, then go for it. But you are not limited. In other words, you're not limited as a slave when it comes to God's purposes for your life. Now, beloved, this truth applies when it comes to finance. We are not limited when it comes to God's purposes for our lives by the amount of money in our bank account or by whatever opportunities we can or cannot have and because of money. That's not what determines God's will and purpose for our lives. And that's not what even determines how we prosper in life. Now, you may find yourself at rock bottom right now, but if you decide as a child of God from this point onwards to seek to honor the Lord Jesus and be the best you you can be, then over time, whatever hole you find yourself in, you will come out of it. That is the reality of our faith. Can you say amen? amen. So the first um, thing I want to say, I want to touch on a few attitudes that are, or mindsets that I think are important when it comes to financial prosperity. And the first thing I want to highlight is this, that your financial prosperity is not determined by your circumstances. It's not determined by your past even. It's determined by what you are willing to do in honoring God and his purposes for your life. Second scripture I want to read just to touch on this kind of mindset thing is in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul is talking to the Philippian church and he's really talking to them about how they've supported him and, and just really commending them for the way they had helped him as an apostle through his ministry. 
And then he points this out to them, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. In other words, I'm not talking to you about money because I have some kind of special need, even though he did have need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, often people quote that last portion. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but forget the context in which Paul was speaking. In other words, Paul was saying, look, as a man of God, as an apostle, as one that knows Jesus and has seen him and all of that, there are times when I have need. There are times when I'm hungry. There are times when I don't have the means in myself to meet all that I need in myself. But regardless of that, it does not affect my attitude. It does not affect me in being the me that God has called me to. Let me tell you something. Nobody can determine how high you go in life when it comes to God's purpose for your life except you and God. Except you and God. Only you. Really, because when, it, when, we, when we see God's, when we see what God's heart is, really, it actually is not even God because God has done all things that pertains to life and godliness concerning us so that we are able to um, uh, um, obtain the great and precious promises that are in the gospel. But most people don't realize that they really are the ones that limit themselves. And they limit themselves by the attitude they allow themselves to live by. Paul here faced tremendous circumstances. Now, sometimes people say Paul was poor, and sometimes people say Paul was rich. Um, whether he was poor or rich, the reality was that Paul was so industrious that as a lay apostle, he could work at certain times so that he had enough money to look after his team. But then at other times, he couldn't work, so he needed others to help him out. So he said to the Corinthian church, for instance, that, look, I, I, when I ministered to you guys, I never expected anything from you, but rather, he said, I robbed other churches so that I will not be a burden to you. Now, that's not a thief. What he's trying to say is that I relied on the help of others in order to be a blessing to you. So like even as us as a church here, now you as a church, you support our ministry, and that's really great, but we have other churches and other ministries that we go to, and when we minister to them, especially the, the ones in the poor countries, they don't give us anything. They don't help us in any way, shape, or form. They don't add, there's no money coming from the other countries. And uh, so sometimes people will look at that and say, oh, Pastor Joe, you're just such a generous pastor, and you, know, you're so, you don't care about money because you come and you help us, and you don't even ask about money. But the only reason I don't ask them about any money is because I'm taken care of somewhere else. You're looking at me very strange. It's not prayers that pays for the bills at home. It's money. I can't tell you to uh, the gas board in Jesus' name it is done. <laughs> but the point that Paul was saying to the churches was that he has not allowed his circumstances to determine the attitude he has towards life and towards the purpose of God for his life. And so, beloved, when we talk about financial prosperity, I don't want you to Look at the money. The money is a secondary thing. And the other reason why I'm sharing this is because I've had a sequence of events that's happened to me in the last four weeks, and I'm not going to go into it because it's a bit too personal. 
But the outcomes are very powerful. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, why are these things happening? And he said to me, they are happening because you are the first amongst your people that I want to give tremendous breakthroughs to. And because of these breakthroughs, these breakthroughs that are happening to you are a sign for the people you serve. So if, if so, so, then, so then as I was waiting on him, I felt like, well, I need to share some of the things that helps me in order for me to enjoy certain breakthroughs that God allows me to enjoy. Um, because that if, it's, if the thing that's happening for me is happening for some of you, then you need to know what I know. Amen. So your attitude should not be, your, your attitude should not be determined by your environment and circumstances. And also how you commit yourself to God and how you commit yourself to his purpose for your life should not be determined by your bank account. You know, over the years, I've heard so many people tell me how they're going to change and be a blessing to CLF. Some of them are not even members anymore. You know, how, you know, they were going to buy me this and buy that for the church and all of that stuff. Uh, all kinds of amazing promises. If, if the church was built on the promises of the believers, we would, we would have taken the world ten times over. <laughs> and so if you're not careful, you allow yourself to rely on other people helping you out in order for you to make it. Your rich uncle, your cousin, your so-and-so, whatever. Rather than recognizing, it's okay, don't worry. Rather than recognizing what God can do with you. And the other thing I want to point out is that whatever God wants to do in your life when it comes to money, it is not for your sake. It's not for you. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich not to be proud or high-minded and trust in deceitful riches, but to be generous. Now, when I, when I read that text um, some time ago, I looked at it again, and, and he, he said, command those who are rich. So imagine, uh, how many of you are rich in this church? Anyway, so imagine the rich folk, I, I'm just thinking this young Pastor Timothy going to the rich people in his church and commanding them to do something with their money. How would that go down? Who the heck are you to tell me how I should spend my money? Command those who are rich not to be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches. So, if you are rich, I'm commanding you. Don't be fooling yourself. But look at the, but this verse is what I want you to see. It's in Isaiah 45 verses 2 to 4, and it's talking about Cyrus. Now, Cyrus was a pagan king that God had determined to use in a significant way. And because of what God had determined concerning Cyrus, he made him the king of Persia, made him the king of Persia. But I want you to see what God said to him because there are some lessons about how God also speaks to his covenant people. He says, I'll go before you and will level the mountains. Now, these are the verses I've been using to pray specifically. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. This is a new NIV version, so I'm reading so God is saying to Cyrus, listen, I'm going to cause tremendous breakthroughs over your life. I'm going to cause barriers that would have normally been in your way to be removed. I'm going to cause you accessing the treasures that are being hidden from you. 
and uh, wealth that you have no idea about. I'm going to cause that to happen to you. And the reason, there are two reasons why I'm going to do it. The first is so that you will know that I am God. Now, this is where most Christians stop. That when God blesses them, they say, oh, I, I know that you are God. Uh, and, and they'll give testimony about how God did amazing things. God blesses them with something, and they'll come and they'll say, I want to thank God for what he has done. I want to thank God. You know, I now know God is real. I now know God is God. The God of Israel is my God. Jesus is my God. Look at verse 4. And why have I called you for this work? Why have I allowed you to become king and allowed you access to treasures that are in secret places? Why have I allowed this to happen? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. And here's the point I want to make. The third attitude I want to emphasize is this, that the reason why God wants to prosper his people is for the purpose of his church. It's for the purpose of his kingdom and the purpose of his church. Now, some people, because the church is not the kingdom, the church is part of the kingdom, but the church is not the kingdom. The church is the custodian of the kingdom, but the church is not the kingdom. Because of that, they say this, I am happy to help to see the kingdom advance. But as for the church, they can forget it. Because all these pastors are just thieves. But listen to me. The church is not perfect. Definitely CLF is not perfect. In our times when people look at church, they say, oh, it's an amazing church. What a wonderful church. It's a fantastic church. Oh, and the pastor, he's a really, really a good preacher. He's a, he's a, he's a very funny, he's a very funny guy. <laughs> very funny guy. And all oh, amazing things. And so, you know what? I'm joining your church, Reg. I'm not sure about what I'm saying here now because you might think, oh, what we, I just done. Then they become members of the church. And then they start seeing things they didn't notice before. Uh, the, the pastor at times is grumpy. He's actually, at times, he's a grumpy man. Uh, sometimes these people are not very friendly. I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. Nobody has greeted me. They just greet each other. Uh, uh, I don't even like their songs. Their, their songs, king of my heart. They send, oh, it's a, and they keep repeating the same old same. And after a while, after a while, your heart goes from the church. And so you look for another one. Beloved, every house has a toilet. So whatever church you find, I want to be clear, especially this house, there will be issues that you will not like. But still, God blesses his people because of his church. Israel represents his covenant people. And the covenant was first formed in the natural branches and now the spiritual branches have been grafted in. So we are part of the Israel of God. And therefore, as the church, when God blesses members of the church, if you really want to fulfill God's purpose, then make sure that your financial prosperity is not just for you, your family, and your dog and cat, but it's also for the sake of God's purpose is church. And that is the primary reason why God 
blesses his people. Now, having said that, let's talk a few things about the heart of God and prosperity. So that's the kind of foundation I wanted to lay. So we know some scriptures, 3 John 2, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in love just as your soul prospers. Now, this is a salutation. It's like you say, hey, bro, I'm, uh, it may go well with you, you know, in, in your journey along the path. Or, hey, welcome in Ghana, uh, one of the tribes, they have something they say, Akwaba, and they say Akwaba, and by Akwaba they mean welcome. But sometimes after they say Akwaba, how you're treated, you're not sure whether you are really welcomed. You know? So, but having said that, even though it's like a, a salutation of sorts, there's some tremendous truth here because sometimes people say, oh, it's just a greeting. So it's just a greeting. So it doesn't mean we, God wants us to prosper. Nonsense. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So study the word. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. So in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So therefore, health and soul prosperity are separate from the all things. So God wants his people to prosper. But his will for us to prosper in every area of our lives is in relation to how our soul prospers. So in other words, God does not want us to prosper naturally at the expense of our spirituality. It's a very important principle when it comes to prosperity. Because at times, I see people, they believe in God for something, they're praying for the thing, whether it's a house, a car, marriage, a child, whatever it is, and then when that thing comes, it affects their devotion to God and his house and his kingdom. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching real good. Put on my American action, glory. <laughs> you see, our material prosperity must never outstrip our spiritual prosperity. Listen to me. For me, I've made up my mind, I'd rather be poor, I'd rather be needy, I'd rather have, have no money and be desperate than compromise my values and compromise my faith. I am committed to paying my taxes. At times I get money that comes my way and nobody knows except me and the persons that gave it to me, the ministry that gave it to me, but I will be a stickler. And sometimes you get a gift so you get a gift, let's say, you get a gift of, let's say, what, what number? A gift. 50, no, something, 50 quid is easy to pay taxes on. There's nothing. Let's say you get a gift of 10,000. And let's say your income was like on the 40% threshold. 10,000, now it means you have to give back to the government 4,000. So the 10,000 is reduced to 6,000. But then when you're paying the tithe, you have to tithe on the 10,000. So now the 10,000 is now 5,000. And if lo and behold, you're committed to missions as well, boom, your 10,000 is now 4,000. Suddenly you're not so impressed by the 10,000. Look at you looking at me. Well, some of you don't believe in tithing, so at least that one, you're free. <laughs> no wonder they have tax is it tax avoidance which one is the illegal one tax evasion or tax avoidance they're both illegal no they're not both illegal 
Which one is tax evasion? You seem to know a lot about tax evasion. <laughs> so, God's heart, God wants to prosper his people. I mean, there are many scriptures. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to prosper, but never at the expense of our spiritual walk. The devil, on the other hand, he is very happy to accommodate you when it comes to natural prosperity if it causes you to compromise on your values. He said to the Lord, all the kingdoms of this world, I will give it to you and the glory thereof. Just bow down and worship me small. Now, you see, you said, I will never do that. I will never bow down to the devil and worship him for money. You may never do that in your mind, but you seem to be very happy to do it for far less. The whole world you won't do it for, but you're happy to do it for overtime. You're happy to do it for a car. You're happy to do it for, sometimes even for food, for food. Sometimes you're in service, the preacher's preaching and teaching, and he said, you know, we, 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 we're taking up an offering for something, and uh, let's say, you know, you've got a lot of money, but then you've got some money ready for some fish and chips. And you know that if you give this money, you can't access your money because of where the fish and chip thing is. So you say, I will give it later. It's not later. Now, now. Sometimes for fish and chips, you're willing to sell your values. God doesn't want it later. He wants it now. Sometimes it's like the now thing. Look at how you're looking at me. So all I'm saying is, it's easy to say, oh, as for me, I will, not, I will not yield to the devil. I will never worship Satan. You know, Satan, satanic worship is what was being offered to Jesus. Compromise on your values, and I will get you to the top. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They compromise on their values in order to get to the top. Take a peerage, take a knighthood, but just don't talk about the morality of the Bible. Don't speak about the things the Bible speaks about. So when they ask you a question, is this a sin? You say, it's not my, it's not, it's not, I'm not to judge. What nonsense? Judge. Judge properly. Tell them it's a sin. They asked you a question. Is it a sin? They didn't say judge them. They said, is it a sin? The answer is yes or no. Don't be political. Say, yes, it's a sin. Look at the way you're all nervous right now. Is he going to say it? Let's move on. So prosperity, like I taught in the past, is a condition of being successful or thriving in any area of our life. But when it comes to biblical prosperity, it is where, first of all, we are doing well spiritually and then it manifests in the natural. Why? Because a person can have all the resource and all the wealth and still have an attitude of poverty. They can have all the resources, all the wealth, and end up using or abusing it in a way that destroys their life. So many people, are in the church, by the way, after they have done so well in their career, sometimes they kill themselves. Sometimes their marriage is destroyed. That ain't biblical prosperity. The Bible says the blessings of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So we're not talking about avarice, the, 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 the love of money, 
the love of money is rooted in idolatry and it is satanic worship. It's devil worship. The love of money is devil worship. Hallelujah. And there's a lot of devil worship that goes on behind the pulpits. Yeah, that's what that one you could say. Uh-huh. You like that one. There's a lot of, you see, because covetousness is idolatry. And the Bible says because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So when we talk about financial prosperity, please understand, I want to be clear. We're not talking about you loving money. God wants you to have wealth, not for the wealth to have you. Now, not every Christian is called to be wealthy either, but every Christian is called to prosper. Financial prosperity is not the same as being rich. It's not at all. As believers, our financial prosperity must always be associated with the will of God for our lives. It must never be simply measured by external accumulation of funds. You can't say that because a person has a house, a car, and this and that, they have been blessed of the Lord. No. At times, people commit fraud. They, they, they will fill in things and they will add zeros in order to get access to funds and then come and testify about how God blessed them. It wasn't God, it was the devil and you. Because you committed fraud. And that's how you got there. You lied. God can't bless that. Don't shout me down because I am preaching real good. Having said that, there is no virtue in forced poverty. Notice I said there is no virtue in what? Forced. Now, a person can choose to be poor. That has virtue, contrary to what you've been taught by others. Why? The greatest example is who? Our Lord Jesus, who became poor in order that we might become rich. Through his poverty, we might become rich. So you can choose to be poor. That's different. It's called sacrifice. But where you are being, <laughs> look at how you're looking at me. But where you are, but where you are being forced by circumstance and negligence and the abuse and the oppression of others to be poor, that is not a blessing. That is a curse. For us as believers, one of the great privileges we have is we can choose to be poor. Look at you, look at me, look at you, look at me. I'm not touching on that, but um, I am really committed to that kind of doctrine. I believe it's really biblical. You know, riches have the potential to deceive you into trusting it instead of God. That's why it is referred to as deceitful riches. Unrighteous mammon. In other words, it, is, it has a deceptive element to it. Look, let's use a 10,000 pounds example. You're minding your own business. You needed 1,000 pounds. And then we gave you 10,000 but we said you have to handle that money wisely and honestly. Now the 10,000 for you meant you had to pay tax, 40%. Okay, let's do the 20% tax. So that means 2,000, zoom. Now remember you needed 1,000 pounds. 2,000 is gone. You're left with 8,000. And then you, let's say you are one of these people who struggle with tithing. Normally your tithe is 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds. Now the tithe has to be how much? 1,000. But you say, you know, 
this church. I'll give them 500. It's still a lot. The pastor would, it's still a lot. So you give 500. Already you've started compromising. Now you, you needed 1,000. And then let's say you used to support missions. Now you find that even though you needed 1,000 and now you have an excess of 3,000, if you really observe the principles well, because of the love of money, you find it difficult to do what's right. So you know what I do when I face these kind of challenges? Just give the whole thing. Just give the whole thing. Hey, look at the way you're looking at me. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. If, we, if, if some money comes and then I'm finding in my heart, I'm struggling, I don't even want to tie properly. You know what? Hey, Mr. Devil and Mr. Joseph, we are giving the whole thing. Now we're free. What is this? I was minding my own business. I didn't even have any money. Now 10,000 has come and I'm struggling to even pay my tithe and give offering. I'm giving up the whole thing. See, Proverbs 10, 15 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. So if you want to be free and to be able to handle the prosperity that God has for you, then you must have an attitude that says, everything I have belongs to God and I trust God. I trust God for the outcome of my life. Can you say amen? All right, now, what is God's will for the righteous when it comes to wealth and riches? We talked about his will concerning prosperity, and prosperity is not dependent on what comes into your account, but it's really the ability to fulfill God's will in your life without any financial restraints. That is prosperity. That is it. To fulfill God's will for your life without financial prosperity, I mean, is to fulfill God's will for your life without any financial restraints. So anything God wants us to do, where we can't do it because of money, we have to examine what's going on. Financial prosperity is not opulence. It's not where you just spend and spend and splash it out and demonstrate your, your, your wealth. That's not what financial prosperity is in God's kingdom. It's being able to do God's will. Having said that, what is his heart concerning riches and wealth when it comes to the saints? Now, God does not mind his people being wealthy. And there are those he calls to be wealthy. My view is this. There are a lot more people, God, a lot more of God's people that he wants to be wealthy than actually are. But because of how they are, that wealth will destroy them. And that's why he wouldn't let them have it. God is concerned that our wealth does not have us. It is not our sense of security and our source. He is. Now, at times, I, have, I hear people, they talk about, you know, they'll say about like, you know, like some of us preachers um, who, who don't, let's say, have our own buildings or whatever, they will criticize us. They'll talk about the fact that we, like what I'm saying, they'll even talk about that, the fact that we encourage people to give tithes and offerings to church. But these same people that criticize us, the government pays for them. Whether they have three people in their church or 10,000, the government will pay for them, pay for their house, pay for everything. It's very easy to criticize when you don't have to use your faith. Uh, I'm just throwing that in there. So, Proverbs 11:28 says this, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. So, God wants his people to never trust in riches, even though his heart is for us 
to do well. I want to read a few scriptures to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verses 6 to 10. And this is really talking about money. This is talking, you can go and study this with all the concordances you like. You come to the same conclusion. He's talking about money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 to 10. He says this, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now he's using agricultural language when it comes to how we give money. Because before then he was talking about giving money to help the church in Jerusalem. Verse, the next verse, seven. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he says, this I say, whoever sows sparingly, resparingly, whoever sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. And then he shows us how we give in the New Testament. This is how you give. You decide in your heart. You purpose in your heart. Not me saying to you, give 10,000 or give 500 or give, no. You decide in your heart. Even when it comes to the tithe, you decide if you want to tithe. He says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly. In other words, don't give um, from a place of reluctance or of necessity. In other words, you feel like you're being forced. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, the attitude that God wants us to give in is from a place of liberality. That word cheerful is actually hilarious or insane giver in the Greek. In other words, a person who gives extravagantly. So the issue is not about tithing because even in our church here, some people don't believe in tithing and because they don't believe in it, they give far more than the tithe. One person, the amount of money they were giving every month is just crazy. I was like, whoa, are you, are you? But they were happy to do it. Then the Lord moved them to another church. That church is really blessed now. Yeah. Look at the next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always have an all sufficiency in all things may abound, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, what I want you to see is this, that when we learn to give properly, God then gives us grace to abound in any area we need to abound in. God gives us, when we, when we learn to give properly, then God gives us the grace, the empowerment, the ability to do things that we do not deserve to do, to have things that we do not deserve to have when we give from a right spirit, when we give from a right heart. That's why I want to encourage you, never give to this church because you feel that Pastor Joe, I don't give a rip. If you want to give, give. If you don't want to give, don't give. Is that swearing? I hope it's not swearing. It's between you and God. The church will always take your money. We will be, we'll say, God bless your life. But if you gave it from the wrong part, you're not blessed. So you might as well keep the thing. You know, I mean, we'll say you might still, still give it anyway. We would say we should still give it. But I'll say you might as well keep it because if you're giving it from the wrong heart, you're not blessed. The church will take your money for sure and commend you, but you're not blessed. So there is no grace. So the way you give, you give from a place where it's like you want to give more. You want to give more. And then he says, when you give from a place of uh, a heart of liberality, he says, God allows all grace. Say all grace. Now, you see, this is the point that I realize. That many of us are lacking in grace in certain areas. 
If I lead a ministry, I should have the grace to lead that ministry. I should have the grace to be able to do anything God wants me to do. If God has called me to minister healing, I should have the grace. I shouldn't be trying to push people over. You are healed. You are healed. But how I give to God, not just money, my life. How I give to God determines the level of grace that is released upon my life. It's so important. There are, there are many, many people who give to the church religiously, legalistically, fastidiously, and all the least that are, are, are in the Bible, the scriptures. Give this way, give this way. But still, you didn't get all the least. But still, but still, they're not blessed. They're not blessed because their heart is wrong. So they're not blessed. If you're, if you're serving in God's house from a heart that is wrong, you will not be blessed. Sometimes I hear people say, but I gave to the church, I give to this, I give to that. That sentiment itself tells you there's something wrong. You should give hilariously, liberally, generously. Can you say amen? So that God can respond with all grace. All grace. And I tell you, we need grace. If you're a boxer, you need grace. You need grace. Somebody said, is that even scriptural to be a boxer? Mind your own business. Focus on your own lane. Don't like it, don't watch it. Let's move on quickly. I'm nearly done. You know what, my time is up. We'll continue next week. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. What I really want to get to is the spiritual side of it. But I, I'm trying to lay a proper foundation. So I want to pray over your hearts. I want to bless you and ask the Lord to just give you the grace to really give of yourself properly to him before you give of your money. And I want to pray into the area of your finances that God will cause you to be blessed in that area. So if either of these areas you are saying you want to stand in faith concerning, why don't you stand right now? I want to just pray over you. Bless you. Let's agree together. And as you stand, raise your hands to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for these precious men and women that are standing right now. Father, as we stand before you, we acknowledge that in our hearts before you, at times, we don't do it right. We don't get it right. We allow our hearts to be focused on the wrong things. But Father, today, we make a decision, Lord, to put you first in our hearts. And how we handle our money, our time, our efforts, our influence, is to do it to honor you. And then secondly, Father, I pray specifically to the area of our finances. Lord, you want to bless your people in this area. Many of us have tremendous needs. Father, I pray that as we give ourselves to you in whatever capacity you're calling us to, you will supply the grace that is needed for us to excel in the areas you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. You may take your seats, Abigail.